Today on Follow Friday, we're going to talk about Oscar-winning movies, a soccer star who's better than most politicians, Ted Lasso, how to be a good ally, the Met Gala, how to sell a book, tweeting in all caps, the battle over American history, and so much more. That's in a minute with Franklin Leonard from The Blacklist. But first, I told you last week that I'd be making a big announcement in my newsletter, but in case you missed it, my podcast consulting company has rebranded and is now called Lightning Pod. If you want to start a podcast or you want to improve a podcast that you've already launched, you should check us out at lightningpod.fm. And if you want to be on that newsletter for future announcements, you can find it now at lightningpod.fm slash newsletter. Okay, enough of that. Here's the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away, with no further delay. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to writers, podcasters, comedians, and other creators about who they follow. They will be our guides to the best people on the internet who we should be following, too. Today on the show is Franklin Leonard. He's a film and TV producer and the founder of The Blacklist, which is an online community for screenwriters and other Hollywood professionals. Every year, Franklin and his team circulate a list of the best screenplays that haven't yet been made into movies as voted on by film executives. If you want to know what's going to win an Oscar in a few years, The Blacklist is a great place to start. You can find Franklin on Twitter at Franklin Leonard and on Instagram at Franklin J. Leonard. And you can check out The Blacklist at blcklst.com. That's Blacklist without the vowels. Franklin, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you for having me. That was maybe the best intro of me I've ever heard. I'm just going <laughs> to clip that and just use that in the future. Feel that free anytime you want. <laughs> the most succinct uh, introduction of the blacklist and what we do and how we think about our work as I've ever heard. Thank you for that. Uh, I mean, I had a bit of practice because you were on my old boss, Kara Swisher's podcast back in the day on Recode yeah. Decode. So this is my second second pass. I got to I got to write an intro of you twice. So I mean, I've had I've had a lot more passes than that, and I haven't gotten it right yet. So bravo. <laughs> well, you're you're a very busy person. When I first emailed you, you were finishing production on a movie in I think you said Dublin. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, I was finishing production on a movie that I was producing. And then separate from that, my wife was directing a feature also in Dublin at the same time. So it was it was a busy time for sure. Well, I appreciate you making time for this. Before we get into your follows, I was wondering when you make movies and TV shows yourself, are you using the blacklist? Are you using your own website, your own community to find writers and other talent? Yes, I think the dynamic is a little bit different, right? When I was working at other production companies, I had... um, We were either looking for a certain kind of script and then trying to get that made, or we had projects that we were making and we were looking for a specific kind of writer to service that script. Um, And and the blacklist sort of came out of trying to more efficiently and effectively find great writers from non-traditional sources uh, in order to fill those needs. The producing that I and my team do as, as the blacklist now is less about we want to make a certain kind of movie. Let's find a writer to, to realize our vision. It's about finding great screenplays that for whatever reason are not getting the support they probably deserve based on the, the, their merit within the sort of marketplace. 
giving those films the kind of support they can get to be realized and making sure that the writer is protected and a participant in the process from through production, post and release. So it's really we're trying to be in service of their vision more than we're trying to hire writers in service of our vision. In, in, in the process of making a movie, obviously, there, there's there's friction there, but but that's that's how we're oriented around it. Totally. And I think your most recent um, kind of big, well-known success story coming out of the blacklist was Promising Young Woman, which won uh, won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Yes. But there's yeah. a whole bunch of movies. So at Argo, The King's Speech, to tons and tons of like movies that you have definitely heard of that were on the blacklist. It's completely wild. I mean, literally just under half of the screenwriting Oscars that have been awarded over the last 15 years uh, were scripts that were on the blacklist before they got made. And not things that were obvious. Promising Young Woman, Jojo Rabbit, Slumdog Millionaire, The King's Speech, right? Nothing about those scripts sort of conforms with Hollywood's conventional wisdom about what works. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that what works is really good storytelling. And if if you start there, you have the best chance. And by the way, that can come in the form of massive, big $200 million movies. It can come in the form of $200,000 movies. It really is just about a good story well told. And if you start there, you got the best chance of success. Absolutely. All right, well, let's find out who Franklin Leonard follows. You can follow along with us today. Every person he recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Friday Friday. So, Franklin, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. We're going to start by talking about someone you don't know, but you want to be his friend, and that's Marcus Rashford, who's on Twitter and Instagram, at Marcus Rashford. He plays football for Manchester United and the England national team. And I know from following you on Twitter that you are a big football slash soccer fan. Yeah. Talk about why you specifically chose Marcus here, why you want to be his friend. Yeah, so so this this is a bit of a cheat. This is just a blatant attempt to try to become his friend. I'm just gonna send <laughs> I'm gonna send up those flares as long as humanly possible. Look, I, I am a fan probably understates it. Anybody who follows me on social media knows, and especially over the next month with the Euros, that is gonna be all football slash soccer all the time. There are two players that I wish I could follow on social media. I follow the other one on Instagram because I think he's only there, but and that's N'Golo Kante. Google him, probably the best player on earth right now, and also an unusually humble human being to be the best footballer on on the globe. Uh, Marcus Rashford is interesting to me, though, because he's he's young. I think he's 22 years old. And last year, when I was I was living in London before we went to Dublin to, to produce this movie, and I'm just on Twitter one day, and I see all of a sudden all these people, like he had tweeted about um, kids basically who didn't have food during the pandemic and sort of what food they were being offering at school and how it was unacceptable. And then I think maybe days later, hours later, he starts tweeting the location of food banks all around England, where if you need to get food, this is where you can get it. And this is, a, I think at the time, 21-year-old soccer player wow. saying, I see this problem. I have this platform. I'm going to solve it. And since then, he's he really sort of changed the direction of, of UK policy as it applies to food insecure people. He's launched a literacy campaign and really driven kids towards reading specifically. Um, and then his personal story is just remarkable. This is a kid who, in part of the reason why he started playing Manchester United is because he himself was food insecure as a kid. His mom basically went to the team and said, I know he's young, but I think he's good enough and we need a place for him to go uh, during the day. And, and now he's you know, he, he was just named captain of the England squad for the most recent match. And I can't think of a more worthy person than someone who is sort of standing up for the entire country 
while while also putting in, you know, phenomenal goals from the wing. So I, I just could not be a bigger fan of, of who he seems to be um, and, and the people he seems to have around him. And I just think he's a, a, a force for good in the world and using Twitter as a good thing. And we can't have enough of those people, given the reality of what Twitter often is. Totally agree. It's so easy to just kind of fall into, you know, petty bickering or just self-promotion. I mean, there's all sorts of pitfalls, you know, vices that you can you can fall into with Twitter. And especially, yeah, as you mentioned, he's 21 years old for, for, for an athlete who's so young who, you know, could easily. And I think reasonably like you you could rationalize someone of that age who's a star player for for a, for a big football team you know just kind of thinking me 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 not really you know thinking about the larger community so the fact that he's doing those those things is amazing and, and look i'd say there are a lot of probably 22 year old footballers who have done really good things especially during the pandemic right i think that it, it, in many ways it brought out the best in all of us I think the thing that's so remarkable to me about Rashford is, is that it, 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 this was not, uh, there was no model for this, right? It wasn't, I gave money to a foundation or I'm taking food. To, it was literally, let me hop on Twitter and retweet the locations of all the places where people can get food. The wisdom to do that, the ability to sort of navigate the sort of inherent criticism and the sort of focus that comes with that, while simultaneously to be performing at the level that he is as an athlete is really it's it's really just remarkable and and I'm just excited to see what the kid does next because you know certainly the sky seems to be the limit I've made a few jokes about him being prime minister someday and <laughs> maybe so it's a joke but I wouldn't bet against him yeah you know if if he decided that was what he wanted to do at some point look if he can lead England to a trophy uh, and continue to do the policy stuff that he's doing it's not the worst idea. National football trophy looks pretty good on the political resume there. Yeah, (laughs) especially in England, considering how long it's been since they won one. Yeah. So, okay, you mentioned the level that he's playing at. I have to confess that the extent of my football slash soccer knowledge comes from watching my former roommate play FIFA. And then I got really into Ted Lasso last year, as a lot of people did. (laughs) So so I will I will say that one of the one of the people I was going to mention was the at Ted Lasso account. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm I'll be I'll be honest. I went into that show expecting to hate it and looking for things that's not accurate whatever and within minutes i was like this is bringing something very different than anything else is bringing and it's an absolute joy in the best possible way and and i think that you know sort of further to this and, and this will be a theme people that are injecting into the twitter ether and not even relentlessly relentless positivity but it's sort of a self-aware positivity yeah um the Ted Lasso account falls in the category of like definitely self-aware, but like very earnest and positive. But frankly, I think we all need a little bit more of that in our lives right now. And so again, it's another, and and like, if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, see Ted Lasso. Absolutely. If someone hasn't told you already, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but (laughs) if, if I'm the first to deliver the news, let me be the first to say, you, you'll want to say you're welcome. Absolutely. Okay, so you mentioned that this was a shameless ploy to, to get Marcus's attention. Yeah. but like I said, de- degenerate football fan. <laughs> I, I, will take, I will take every opportunity to, to head along that direction. If you were friends with Marcus, I mean, what would you want to ask him about? What would you want to talk about? What, do you wanna, what would you want to do with him? Uh, I, I would definitely want to go kick a football around. Um, I mean, a, a number one. But honestly, I'd, I'd be just sort of interested in hearing how he thinks about what it is that he's doing. I think it's in part, frankly, to learn from it. I think that when you have a platform and a visibility that big and you're, you're, you're engaging at a level that he's engaging in, it takes a certain composure, which I don't know that I necessarily have. I'm not sure that many people do. And I'm just curious at 22 years old, like, 
how do you go about your day? What is it that structures? You know, I, I, I just sort of want to mix it up about that. But yeah, mainly, but mainly let's, let's play some soccer. I'd also love to hear your, your thoughts on, you know, what do you think of the Manchester Derby? Like, I mean, I, 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 it would, it would, it would inevitably end up being mainly soccer, but I'm also very interested in sort of like how, what he's doing and, and what else he wants to do. And if there was any way I could help. You can start planting the, the seeds of like, hey, you should run for office someday. Hint, hint. <laughs> Look, I, I, I will never encourage anyone to run for office. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that is something that, that one has to be drawn to on your own. Uh, and I would never want to be responsible for convincing somebody to do that despite their better judgment. At the same time, though, I, I think it's more for me, like, what else do you want to do and how can somebody like me help? Definitely. Well, that was Marcus Rashford, who's on Twitter and Instagram at Marcus Rashford. It's Friday. Let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you think, and you said two people. Alice Wong, who's on Twitter at SFDireWolf, and Sinead Burke, who's on Twitter and Instagram at Burke. Both of them are disability activists. Uh, Alice is the editor of a book called Disability Visibility, and Sinead is the director of a consulting firm called Tilting the Lens. Let's start with Alice. I'm going to quote something she said a few years ago when she won an award from the American Association of People with Disabilities. She said, Disability, history, and culture isn't recognized or documented in our society, and yet we're everywhere. So talk about how you started following Alice and how she's inspired you. Yeah, I, I'm not sure when I started following Alice is the, the God's honest truth. Um, but thank God that I, I have. Look, as a black man in America, um, I've always I've been acutely aware of sort of issues of representation and access and um, and sort of equity for most of my life. I, I think it's hard to avoid. Just I grew, I grew up in the deep south, and I've always felt like I've been a pretty good ally to other communities that sort of have a history of of oppression, of, of sort of lack of visibility, of sort of being misrepresented in the world. And at some point, maybe in the last decade, I realized that one area that I I just hadn't thought about was was the disability community. And the more I learned, it was just staggering to me the extent to which no one thinks about it or, or far too few people think about it. And I, I remember at one point going and saying, okay, let me, who should I be you know, following? Because I think that's a good place to learn. Like who are the people that are doing the work? And I probably stumbled upon Alice. And, and it's funny because I have learned more from her Twitter feed in the last couple of years than I, I could ever sort of like encapsulate. And, and it's not just about disability, by the way. I also just think she's cool as hell. Um, I think that, and, and that's sort of the, the really amazing thing about, about my Twitter experience. You know, there's so many people that I've sought out in very specific subject matter areas. They're like, okay, this person's a subject matter expert. By having them in the sort of endless scroll of information that I receive, my life will be better. And then you discover that these people are just people that you want to hang out with, like separate, separate from that. And you're just like, yeah, you, you seem like a good vibe. And that's always been my, my sense of her. We also weirdly have the same taste in sort of tacky tracksuits, <laughs> which we, we bought this tiger tracksuit sort of at the beginning of the pandemic independently. And it was just like, like, okay, yeah, like we're, you're you're my people, or at least I hope that I deserve to be your people, <laughs> and we'll take it from there. So yeah, just 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 a huge fan of her as a human being. I can't recommend the follow enough. I, it, there are certain people where I follow, and I'm like, how how is everybody not following you? And, and she and she definitely falls in that category. Yeah, the the representation thing is is an interesting one because I mean, this is had been a long, a slow moving train over a long period of time, right? But you know, for a while there there's this whole idea of just 
token representation where it's just a person who looks different, but then they don't actually embody another, you know, an, another life, the whole history of w- what makes, you know, a person's life different. And so I guess like as a non-disabled person who is, you know, powerful in Hollywood, you're a Hollywood executive, you know, like what do you see as your role vis-a-vis like working with empowering disabled people like beyond beyond obviously putting disabled people in positions where they can you know be seen in in media like like, i guess how do you see your role as as like helping helping the disabled community there i mean look the first thing i have to do is learn um because i think um it's presumptive i think there's two parts of it one is to learn because it's presumptuous of me to think that i like oh okay i i kind of got this vibe and and i know that as again if if somebody showed up and was like well i I'm not black, but let me tell you what, how to solve these problems. I'd be like, <laughs> slow down. Yeah. And, and so first I have to learn. And the second thing is, is frankly, is not so much what I should be doing as the, the sort of where I should be directing focus, right? Um, and, and who I should be making sure is in the room. And so for me, you know, and this is an iterative process and I will, I will fail on this front and many others, but like, one thing the Blacklist does do is we, we publish alongside the Writers Guild um, West com- uh, Committee for Writers with Disabilities an annual disability list. So we, we try to raise the visibility of scripts uh, that, you know, are written by people with disabilities or about people with disabilities that are sort of, you know, have the additional cosine of c- the communities uh, with disabilities. And then the other thing is just to make sure that, you know, there are people in the room and that when we talk about disability, it's not done without you know, nothing about us without us, right? Right. And then on top of that, nothing without us, right? Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't have that point of view in a room, even if the lead character isn't that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like was, I think a quarter of the country has a disability of some sort. That's a lot of people. Um, and, and we should be trying to get it right. So I, I think those are the two biggest things. But again, I, I think the biggest priority for all of us should be to try to learn and to not lend ourselves to the evils that we condemn. And when we do in int- unintentionally, uh, you know, make redress and try to make it right. Definitely. And, and, and you know, and I think that, that, that following, following both Alice and Sinead has been a, a phenomenal education that I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, let's talk about Sinead. So Sinead Burke from Toting the Lens. She's a writer, a podcaster, a little person living with a condition called a contraplasia. And last year, she published a children's book called Break the Mold, which is about believing in yourself and how to find comfort in your own skin. Do you remember how you first heard about Sinead and her activism? Uh, again, don't remember when it went, but it feels like I've known her forever. We actually have, we, I was lucky enough. She was in LA uh, for a couple of days and we were able to have dinner and like the dinner lasted like three and a half, four hours. Mm. Uh, the thing that's not sort of immediately evident from like her Twitter bio is that she's also a bit of a fashion icon. Yeah. She, you know, I think, and I don't, I don't know this for sure, but this is sort of, I think when I became aware of her work was she was doing specific, she was talking about the realities of fashion and disability and the way we talk about that. And th- there are some amazing fashion photos of Sinead Burt. Go check it out. I think she was the first little person to ever attend the Met Gala. Um, yeah. And, yeah. It's, and she's posted on magazine covers and, and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I want to be clear. It's not like, oh, a little person was invited to the Met, the Met Gala. It was like Sinead showed out at the mm-hmm. Met Gala. Like, like, like the, the, fa- the, the fashion, the style is incredibly on point. And she's just awesome. Like, it's just, you know, those people you're like, 
I'm so glad I know you. I'm so glad you exist and the world is better for it. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't, I just couldn't be a bigger fan of hers. Yeah. I mean, like I would, based on the little bit of research I did about her before this is that she started out when she was a teenager, I think blogging about fashion, about the fact that designers just were not thinking about little people at all, just completely ignoring them as, you know, I think that's a, right. a, a, as a people as and now she's been working with designers and she she's been really kind of pushing the the envelope in terms of making sure that little people are represented are included you know when designers are making new new types of fashion how uh, applicable do you think that is across industries like you know do, do you for example do you think screenwriters should be following her example can they can they learn from how she approached her the lack of representation that she saw um in her world absolutely i think that people anybody can learn from Sinead about how to like approach life honestly lord knows i have i think for screenwriters in particular i think that part of the job is to try to uh, experience as much of life in the human condition as possible so that you can then write about it and i think that one of the sort of beauties of, of social media it's a cut, cuts both ways. One of the beauties and the dangers of social media is it gives us a, a, a view into people's lives, but it's also like the edited version. It's not the real version. Right. But to the extent that you can connect with people who are way outside of your experience and, and I think sort of connect with them on things that don't have to do with the thing that you're interested in, but you may gain some insight into that, I think it can be valuable. But also that begins to feel transactional. For me, probably the, the thing that I love most about social media is, is that it gives, and Twitter in particular, is it gives me you know, I can be connect with people that are not a part of my immediate social world and and a lot of amazing people that are outside of my immediate social world. And sometimes we become friends or we become sort of, you know, we develop a relationship over social media and that, I don't know, I, 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 I'm a person I think who finds it difficult to reckon with the reality of how difficult the world is oftentimes. Yeah. And knowing that these people exist makes it a little bit easier for me. Yeah, and since you mentioned you had a you had a long dinner with Sinead once, have you had a chance to meet Alice in person? I have not had a chance to meet Alice in person, but I am very much looking forward to it. And and the second it's an on offer and possible for both of us, I think we'll I hope hopefully she'll take take me up on it. But I'm definitely down. Cool. Well, that was Alice Wong and Sinead Burke. They're at SF Direwolf and the Sinead Burke on Twitter, and Sinead is also on Instagram at the Sinead Burke. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Franklin Leonard. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate, which is the best place to host your podcast. I have been telling you for the past couple weeks about why you should start a podcast with Captivate. It's what I use and I love it. And now it's even better. They just launched Captivate 2.0, which is a massive redesign that makes it even more powerful and easier to use. If you need help with anything while making your show, you can start typing in the search bar and right away you will start seeing helpful articles, tutorials, and blog posts from Captivate pop up. And they also added something really cool called short links. You can make a short, memorable, trackable link like, oh, let's say followfriday.net slash Captivate, and then you read that on your podcast. Because, you know, links like followfriday.net slash Captivate are easier to say, easier to remember. And when you know it, you can get a 30-day free trial of Captivate 2.0 instead of the usual one week when you go to followfriday.net slash Captivate. It's Follow Friday. 
Welcome back to Follow Friday. Franklin, I asked you to tell me about someone you've just started following, and you said Yadon Israel, who's on Instagram at Y-A-H-D-O-N, and on Twitter at Yadon Israel. He's a senior editor at Simon & Schuster and the founder of the Literary Swag Book Club. So talk about how you started following Yadon. You you recently did an Instagram live thing with him, is that right? No, I didn't do the Instagram live thing. He did did the Instagram live thing. You were just watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just watching. So Yadon... We have friends in common. It's weird to me that we sort of never crossed paths on social media before. Basically, he he's sort of a newly installed senior editor at Simon and Schuster. Amazing job, like in the system. Like you can you can sort of find a manuscript and make somebody an author. And it's 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 not dissimilar from the position that I find myself in in the industry, right? Like I can find a screenplay and put it in the right hands. What was extraordinary about what Yadon did, and again, this sort of comes back to this, like how we use these platforms is he gets on Instagram live and does an hour long talk basically about this is my new job. This is the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. These are the expectations that I have for, for writers that are working with me. This is the sort of commitment. This is how I'll support you. It was just like. A, a direct demystification of a process that has been intentionally opaque, right? Publishing and like how you get your book published. Mm-hmm. And here's here's this, this this young guy who hops on Instagram Live and says, look, this is how it's going to work for me. Here's all the secrets. <laughs> here's all the secrets. And he's gotten on since and done, you know, hey, I've heard a lot of people talking in the comments and online and there's a lot of misconceptions about how these things work. So let me hop on again and, and lay it all out for you in, in, in sort of layman's terms. And again, Senior editor at Simon & Schuster. I've never seen anything like that before in any of these positions. Right. And and so again, and and look, just separately, the man has great taste in books and and style and a lot of other things. So I'm just like, this is a person that I like to follow. I believe he's a new father too, which is always adorable. His Instagram is very cute, by the way. It's Look very, at his Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very cute. But it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, yeah, th- this is what these platforms are for. And, it, and it's amazing to see somebody who could reasonably be expected to sort of close ranks and say, okay, I'm, I got this purchase in this place. Let me keep it tight. I'm, I'm going to reach back out and make sure that I'm doing the right thing. But instead, he blows the whole thing up and says, no, 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 no. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the right way. Here's the deal. Let's figure this out. And I, I just really admire that approach. I, you know, I, I sort of tried to do it in my own way, but never that directly. And I think never that effectively. Um, and I, I would love to see more people follow his lead, uh, particularly in the cultural industries where there are a lot of talented people out there and access is more the issue than talent. I mean, I've never tried to write a book. So I think there's a lot about publishing that I, I don't know that I don't know. One of those things. Do you remember from the Instagram thing that you watched or w- what's an example of something that he has said that, I don't know, see, it seemed like it was breaking a taboo, that, that it was unlocking some secret about publishing? Do you remember any of his his uh, his guidance? There was a lot there, particularly about the, the stuff that writers would say, oh, the system is stacked against us, that I think he was unraveling for people. The thing, though, that I actually thought was maybe the most valuable was something that I think was probably, like, writers might have been sensitive to it because, you know, a lot of people are like, look, the hard part is selling the book and getting it written. And, and what Yadon tried to communicate, and again, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this justice, so I highly recommend just going over and watching the full thing, which I believe is in his feed, was like, look, I'm looking for writers who are ready to sell their book as well. Like, 
the economics of publishing are not great and you need to have a hit and I get X number of shots a year. And so I need somebody who's who's not only going to write amazing book, but who's going to be able to get out there and get on the road or get on Zooms and, and be able to communicate. This is what this is. This is why this matters and want to engage. Right. Like these like, books are not just books. Books are sort of movements in, in one way. And that's what he wants to be driving. And that was I, a thing I think everybody needs to hear frankly and but it's also and it's a thing that people need to hear because it is how you can make the thing that you want to do successful and you need to understand that like the the 360 degrees of it all not just the like the fairy tale that people try to sell people definitely like you you write the perfect book and then you send it out into the world and then your your work is done and that's not really how it works at all i mean and in many ways it's a disrespect to the effort that you put in to write the book and that everybody else put in to get the thing published in an ideal world, certainly, a writer could focus only on the writing and then put the book out and then the rest takes care of itself. We do, we do not live in an ideal world. And so we have to make adjustments that will allow the things that we want to see in the world actually happen. Absolutely. Well, I also want to talk about the book club, which Yadon started before he was a Simon & Schuster editor, Literary Swag. Um, based on what I read, it looks like they used to meet in person in Brooklyn. Now they're on Zoom for obvious reasons. Have you have you checked in on this book club? Have you, have you tr- I, I read haven't. anything from it? This is the thing. I'm so new to following him. I wasn't even aware. And this is, again, this is this is embarrassing for me that I wasn't even aware of it. And And when I discovered it, I was like... Well, this is another person I'm just super glad exists, like who's doing the work in really interesting ways. And, and then literally like right after I followed him, I think on the announcement of his new job, he was like, let me hop on Instagram live and break this down for everybody. And I was just like, yeah, I, I, I'm an idiot for having not followed him prior to this. <laughs> well, what's the what's the best book that you've read recently? Last summer, I read David Blight's Frederick Douglass biography. Um, I've sort of been thinking a lot about Douglass in the context of his obsession with photographs and sort of representation and imagery. So I was like, let me read the big book. And uh, it, it's really an amazing read. I read it and then I listened to the audiobook like, shortly thereafter. Um, and it's just, a, it's, you know, Douglass's story is an extraordinary one. Just an absolutely extraordinary one. And, and, and even though he's like one of the few black American historical figures that most of us are taught in our history books, we are not taught the full Frederick Douglass history. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of reasons for that. That yep. could take up more time than we have on this podcast. But I, <laughs> high, I highly recommend learning as much about Frederick Douglass's story as humanly possible. And the David Blight biography is a great place to start. Wonderful. All right. Well, that was Yadon Israel, who's on Instagram at Yadon and on Twitter at Yadon Israel. It's Final Friday. We're going to wrap up today talking about another pair of people you should follow. Franklin, I asked you for someone super talented but still under the radar, and you said two folks. The first is Clint Smith, who's a senior writer for The Atlantic. He's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clint Smith the Third, like Clint Smith III. And the second person is the activist and podcaster Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Ms. Pacchetti. That's M-S-P-A-C-K-Y-E-T-T-I. But let's start with Clint Smith. So uh, uh, how do you start following his work? And, and, and talk, talk a little bit about, about why you love it, like why, why it's so meaningful to you. So I think I started following Clint when he was in graduate school at Harvard. I want to say getting a PhD in education. And he was also a poet. Um, and I did a little bit of slam poetry shortly after college. I wasn't very good. Clint is very good at poetry. And he's also, he was a college soccer player also. Oh. Um, so it weirdly connected to like a bunch of my interests. Um, and I'm not sure which individual interest is what event- like led to me, led me to him. Right. Right. 
in the years since, um, he has sort of consistently been, along with Britney, one of the voices where it's like, thank God I didn't have to sit down and think about this thought that I was having and try to translate it into words because you've just taken my internal monologue and translated it into language that is far better than I would ever be able to deliver. I'm so glad that that's there. And not like once or twice, like consistently, where I'm like, yep, that, okay, I don't, have to, I don't have to think about trying to communicate that idea anymore. I can just either point people this direction or make sure that they know this. He said it so I don't have to, one of those things, yeah. Literally all the time. And about the most... Look, that's that's about race. It's about politics. It's about economic inequality. It's about the prison industrial complex. It's about all these things that I care deeply about. And it's I'm, again, just so glad that he exists. And then on top of that, like me, crazy soccer fan, long suffering Arsenal fan, <laughs> has a tendency to tweet only in caps during major international footballing tournaments. I don't know how that started, but it's very much his thing. And just you know, a delightful human being. Uh, an absolutely positive force in the world. And um, yeah, I I also feel like I cheated a little bit on this one because, you know, Clint and Brittany both have substantial followings, right? I think they're both well over 200,000. Brittany might be over 400,000. But relative to their talent, they are still sorely unappreciated. And I think I can say comfortably the world would be better if more people were listening to both of them. And I can say that about a lot of people, but I know it's true about them. And yeah, and then separate from that, I just like them as human beings and they tweet. They're also very funny. Uh, And then there's the Clint soccer thing. Um, But yeah, Clint has a new book called How the Word is Passed about reckoning uh, with the history of slavery in America. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I'm not the only one who has done so. I highly recommend reading this book. People love this book. Yeah, it just came out. The reviews are unsurprising if you know Clint and have been following him, mm-hmm. but they are extraordinary. And I cannot, I, I've, I've had a chance to read some of the book. I haven't finished it yet, but I cannot recommend this highly enough. It's the sort of thing that makes you say, why would I even try to write a book? <laughs> because this is what people should be writing. And I cannot do that. I mean, yeah, before we move on to talking about Brittany, I mean, the reckoning that you're, you're talking about there, the, or that he's talking about in his book, Look, where where do you think we are with that reckoning? It, it feels like, you know, there, there's this really, this is tug of war, right? Where you know, one day the Wall Street Journal is finally kind of doing a big thing about the, you know, centennial of the Tulsa race massacre, right? And it's like, oh, finally, there's like some public discussion about this. And then the other day, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones is denied tenure. And it's just like the these old institutions are rearing their head and, and really kind of setting back the people who are, who are, you know, speaking the truth right now. I, I don't know, like, how, how are you feeling right now about, about that, that reckoning, about that conversation? It's a great question. And the, the honest answer is that I'm not sure I have one. Yeah, that's I, fine. I think, I, no, I, I think that what it is, is, is that, like you said, there's so, there, it feels like we're drinking from a fire hose in terms of just the information about the state of, of play yeah. um, at all times. And, and you'll, you'll see you know, the, the the sort of acknowledgement of the centenary of Tulsa and that, that has to feel like there's progress being made, like you said. And then there's the Nicole Hannah-Jones situation at UNC Chapel Hill, which is like, literally, you have essentially an arm of the state government engaging with closing off intellectual inquiry about the history of the country mm-hmm. while simultaneously rejecting the the claims that this extraordinary MacArthur winning, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist and educator uh, has made. 
And, and so, and, and, and I feel like that's, there, there are versions of that good news, bad news situation happening on all fronts. So I would say that I am hopeful, but I'm hopeful as a practice, not based on evidence. Yeah. And I don't, there may well be evidence to, to, to make the argument for hope, but I know that hope is sort of our only option. Well, hope and the work. And so hopefully I can manage both. Yeah. Depends, depends on the day. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Brittany Packnett Cunningham. She hosts a podcast called Undistracted. She's a contributor to NBC and MSNBC. She's a fellow at Harvard. What was your entryway into her work? I suspect that my introduction to Brittany was during Ferguson. Um, and I believe she was on the ground there as an activist. She's from St. Louis. Um, and again, it, it's one of those things where you follow somebody because of a moment or because of, you know, they just sort of pop into your radar and then you end up realizing you're just like, I want to be their friend. Like just that simple, you know, like Clint, absolutely brilliant, can synthesize these ideas that I, that I can't wrestle with, right? Like she's, she's, she's wrestling with these ideas that I'm like struggling with and sort of perfectly encapsulating where I inevitably would have come to the conclusion. She's a brilliant public speaker. I mean, it's not surprising her parents, her parents come from the church, but um, absolutely brilliant public speaker. Uh, her relationship with her husband, uh, Reggie, is like uh, another joy to behold. Why is that? They're just like, you're like, yeah, man, that's love, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think they've got like a Gospel Sunday thing happening on their Instagram. Um, they're, just, they're, just, they're just, again, fun people that like... I'm thinking back, I can't even remember when I learned this, but like one, one thing that people used to say about like hiring, when, you, when you're interviewing somebody, one thing to think about is like, is this person going to sort of be the kind of person you want to see every Monday morning, right? Are they going to be a positive energy in the office? Reggie and, um, and Brittany, it's like, yeah, these, these are people who like bring joy to the world just by being themselves and you put them together and it like triples it, it doesn't just double it. I don't know. It's, yeah. I sound like a total cheese ball. I just, these, these are... <laughs> These are people that I, you know, I'm again, just very glad exist that, that, that when I'm focusing on the practice of hopefulness, I can look to them and say, they're on the front lines, they're doing the work, which is cause for hope. No matter who the, no matter who the opposition is, I want them on my team. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you mentioned this already, but so they both have a platform. They have a lot of followers between the two of them. But yeah, I I think to your your point earlier, it it does feel like sometimes the conversation, if we're talking about activism, talking about social justice, sometimes it feels like that's still in the background in this country. Like it's just not, you know, it's not as every day as it as it should be. I don't do do you have a do you have a sense of what what needs to change to get that to the foreground to 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 make this kind of a to get people to take this more seriously i think in my mind including the people who don't want to talk about it right that's that's the real danger with 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 a lot of this stuff is like you can you know get a lot of people who are agreeing on something but you also need to need to get involved the people who are just like adamantly opposed to having the conversation yeah i i wish i have a solution to it i don't know that i do yet but i think that clinton Brittany again this is this is what it comes down to it's like yeah i don't know that i have the solution but i bet they might you know, in the same way that I'm and, and, and separate from that, one of the things that I really admire about them is they can sort of go into these sort of pitched debates where people, I think, are oftentimes are not focused necessarily on a solution or sort of grounding the conversation in history or uh, morals 
um, or a moral theory or a moral view of the world. And what I really admire about both of them is they, they bring a thoughtfulness and a seriousness and a contemplativeness and a sort of consideration of all sides, but a sort of unfailing moral clarity around what is necessary and the level of respect that we have to bring to these conversations that I, you don't, that there are a lot of people, again, who I think live up to that standard, but I think that they in particular do. And then again, the, the rest of their fee just is joyous. If I had to choose a sort of dream team of people that I'd want solving the problem, th- th- you know, those, those, are, those are early draft picks. <laughs> probably, tra- probably trading up to get them. All right. Well, that was Clint Smith and Brittany Packnett Cunningham. They're on all the socials at Clint Smith III and Ms. Pacchietti. Franklin, thank you for sharing these follows with us today. Before we go, I want to make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Uh, yeah, so I'm Franklin Leonard at Twitter and Franklin J. Leonard, just the letter J, uh, on Instagram. And uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Anything else you want to plug? No, I mean, look, if you're a screenwriter or a uh, film and television industry professional, literally anywhere in the world, check out The Blacklist. It's, it's blacklist.com with no vowels, B-L-C-K-L-S-T.com. I, I, I don't want to use this as an advertising opportunity. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's what we do. If, if, you, if you are one of those two communities, I will probably be able to do something that'll, that'll make your life a little bit better. Awesome. Well, follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Follow Friday Pod. And please follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app to get new interviews like this one every week. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Purple Planet Music. And don't forget, go to lightningpod.fm slash newsletter to sign up for my free email newsletter about podcasting. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.